Don Quixote is a book written by Miguel de Cervantes some 400 years ago. It is a literary classic. The title character, Don Quixote, is mocked and abused throughout most of the story, mostly for this reason. He refuses to see the world as it is. Instead, he would rather see the world as it ought to be. And here's the very interesting, perhaps scary part. He refuses to treat people according to what they deserve, but rather based on what they could become. Oh, he's not naive enough to think there's no evil in the world, and he will happily risk his life to stand up against the evil that is around him. The circumstances of his life lead him to a tavern. Aldonza is a tavern wench who is roughly treated and worse by all the male clients. Don Quixote treats her like a high-born lady. Everyone laughs at him because they know who she really is. But he will not stop treating her with kindness and deference. And after a while, she just gets sick of all the kindness. In the musical based on the novel, she sings a song spelling out plainly what she is and who she is, trying to make Don Quixote understand that he is making a fool of himself by treating her the way that he does. This is what she sings. You have shown me the sky, but what, but what good is the sky to a creature who'll never do better than crawl. Of all the cruel devils who badgered and battered me, you are the cruelest of all. Can't you see what your gentle insanities do to me? They rob me of anger and give me despair. Blows and abuse I can take and give back again. Tenderness I cannot bear. Life has a way of beating people up. The more desperate our lives become, the more hardened and callous we become. And here is Aldonza, who has been so battered and abused and mistreated that she can no longer believe that she is worth anything more than just more abuse and mistreatment. And into her life walks a man who believes in her, treats her well, and at great expense to himself, forces all of us to ask who Aldonza really is. Is Don Quixote right about her? Or are the rest of the folks right about her, those who only can see the exterior? Are we able to see past, present, external realities to the potential that lies inside each of God's children. In, God's jo in John's Gospel, the third chapter, we hear again the story of Nicodemus. You're familiar with the story of Nicodemus. He's a Jewish leader. He's intrigued by Jesus. He is embarrassed 
to confront Jesus openly, so he sneaks away at night to meet him. He's afraid of reprisals, of being seen publicly with Jesus. He wants Jesus to know that he believes Jesus is from God, and Jesus says to him, to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born from on high. You must be born of the Spirit. That was the requirement then, it's the requirement now, nothing has changed. To enter the kingdom of God, you must be born of the Spirit. Nicodemus struggles with the idea. He doesn't understand the idea of rebirth. He can't understand a spiritual birth. And Jesus tells him, you shouldn't be surprised at what I'm saying. There's lots of things that can't actually be seen, but are very real nevertheless. Nicodemus asks, how is all this possible? How can this be? And that's where we pick up the story in John's Gospel, the third chapter, verses 10 to 21. This is John 3, verses 10 to 21. And I would invite you to stand out of respect for the gospel as you're able. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This is a fascinating picture of an exchange between Nicodemus, who is clearly clueless, and Jesus, who is attempting to instruct him, but using terms that Nicodemus is having difficulty understanding. And in the process of speaking to Nicodemus, Jesus reveals to him how God feels about him and all of his creation. This is foundational truth for us. This is bedrock stuff for us. And I think we should consider for a moment how we allow bedrock truth like that which is revealed in these verses inform the foundation of our lives. This week I've been reading a book by Norman Wright where he talks a great deal about self-talk. You know what self-talk is, right? 
We all have conversations with ourselves inside our own heads. These conversations have a significant impact on what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about the world around us. These conversations can limit what we believe is possible or they can expand our imagination and help us to pursue lofty dreams. These conversations always have a foundation somewhere. These conversations are built on what we believe is fundamentally true about ourselves and the world around us. In tragic cases, these conversations might tend to invite us to believe that perhaps what tragedy happened to us was something we deserved. Or perhaps we start to believe that God doesn't care about us because this particular thing happened. Or, or we start to believe that we're the only person in the world who has ever experienced this kind of a tragedy. In depressing cases, we can't shake the feeling and we cycle the feeling in our head that we are doomed to suffer continually or that no one cares about us and that we are either unloved or unlovable or that things can only get worse and we are alone in the world. Even in hopeful cases, we might be telling ourselves that everything will work out, but we're not basing our opinions on truth. We're self-deceptive at times. We might be looking at the world through rose-colored glasses while ignoring our responsibilities. All of these kinds of assumptions fuel our self-talk. For better or worse, we keep reinforcing what we believe about ourselves by the things we tell ourselves in our mind. But I believe it's hugely important that the self-talk we permit, we permit in our mind, is based on the foundational truths of God revealed through Scripture. And they're anchored right here, many of them. The first thing you need to know, and the thing you need to be telling yourself continually is, you are loved by God. Whatever else you tell yourself, don't forget to tell yourselves continually that you are loved by God. Scripture is full of citations that underline the majesty of God's love for you. Psalm 126 says, give thanks to the God of gods, his love endures forever. Romans 8:39 says, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2:4 says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And you've already heard John 3.16, God so loved the world. That's all of us. That means you. That means me. That means us together. God loves us. We are loved by God. And that conversation should run in our heads all the time. There's a second thing that you should hear from this passage in John. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn you. Did you catch that? You're not condemned. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some folks can't resist believing that God's just waiting to strike them down. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is for us. 
Yes, he does establish boundaries, but those boundaries are for our protection and for our health. He wants what is best for us. Jesus doesn't come to condemn. He comes to save. He comes to offer abundant life. That's the gift of God for us. And we need to be telling ourselves continually, we're not under judgment and condemnation. We are loved by a God who wants to live in fellowship with us. And that's the third foundational truth we need to make sure is anchored in our self-talk. God wants to interact with us to help us. You know, Ezekiel, when he's prophesying, he says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He wants to take up residence in us. That is Jesus saying to us, my Father will send the Holy Spirit to live in us so that we can have an ongoing relationship with God through the Holy Spirit who is given to every Christian, to every saint. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So the foundational truths that should inform your self-talk are these. You are loved by God. God is not condemning you. God wants to live with you and lead you to a better life. Now, if the words you're telling yourself are different from those, you're lying to yourself. You're being self-deceptive. You're letting language cycle in your head that is not true, because we know these words are true because they come from God's word. In fact, we're given instructions to be very careful about the things we dwell on, the things that we consider in our minds. You remember Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So we're supposed to filter what we say to ourselves based on the truth of God's word. These are the patterns of self-talk that destroy. Constant fault-finding with ourself and others. Rehearsing failures or embarrassments. Constantly judging other people. When we continually tell ourselves that we don't deserve to be happy. When we can't forgive ourselves of our own mistakes from the past. When we continually compare ourselves with others. These cycles, these patterns of self-talk destroy us from the inside out. And they are contrary to the revealed word of God, contrary to God's truth for us. But you can exchange destructive self-talk with words that give life. Print them on a card if you must and read them to yourself daily or multiple times a day if you're having a hard time swapping out your internal self-talk for the truth of God's word. You need to tell yourself these things. I am valuable to God. God loves me. God forgives me. 
I am a child of God. God has forgiven and forgotten the mistakes of my past. I have brothers and sisters in the faith who love me. I am bound for heaven because of the forgiveness and goodness of God. Those are self-talk phrases, all of which are true. And self-talk can take us places. Self-talk can move us in a direction that is healthy for us and reinforces the truth that we're speaking to ourselves based on God's word. Self-talk that leads to worship is based in passages of scripture that we can repeat to ourselves. This is Revelation 5. We sang this today. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and praise and glory. Or Psalm 95, come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for we are, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. What would it do for you if every day you woke up and said to yourself, we are his people, we are the flock under his care, and you said it to yourself long enough that you believed it, that you really believed you were going to walk through your day under his care. It's true. It's what Scripture tells us. That's who we are. Self-talk can lead us to prayer. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. If we, if we begin to tell ourselves that he could actually do more than we can ask or imagine, and we started to believe that, that would lead us to prayer. James 5.13 says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. You wake up feeling like you're in trouble? Pray. James 4.7 says, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. It's an invitation again to say, God, come, help me, interact with me, help me work through this day together. There is self-talk that leads to compassion. Mark 25, 40 says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Or Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Did you catch that? God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. This is you. God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. There's self-talk that leads to transformation. Romans 16, 25 says, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel. He's able to ground us. He's able to get us rooted in him. He's able to help us grow into maturity. That's the goal of the Christian life. Philippians 1, 6 Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He is promising to continue to work in us. We can trust his transforming grace in our lives. The list of Bible references that you can use to retrain your mind and adjust your self-talk, that list is endless. 
Now, I'm not going to say that because the list is endless, switching the self-talk is easy because it's difficult. Most of us have practiced our self-talk endlessly. And you know how it is in Maine during mud season. You've got to pick your rut carefully because you'll be in it for 20 miles, right? We've created these ruts in our thinking, habits that attract us, and we begin to move in these destructive cycles and we begin to listen to the self-talk that we built and we have got to pick a new rut that leads us somewhere else, a rut that is based in the truth of God's word. But it's possible to do. And in this, and in this passage, Jesus makes a reference to an Old Testament story that most of us know, but helps give you an idea of the kind of switch that needs to take place in the life of believers if we're gonna swap out the old self-talk and bring in a conversation inside our head that is inspired by the wisdom of heaven rather than by ourselves. What does Jesus say? He said that switching the self-talk is almost as difficult as looking away from the snakes. Isn't that sort of what's happening here? Looking away from the snakes. Um, I have to confess that if there is a snake in the room, I'm staring at it. Um, I want to know what it will do next, what it does next will determine what I do next. I want to be certain that I am not near it, and I'm not near where it seems to be going next. But staring at the snake might not get me out of the room in time. It would be better to act than just stare at the snake. In Numbers 21, there's an incident in the history of Israel. And that's what this reference is talking about. The people of Israel are grumbling once again about lack of food and lack of this, and did you bring us out here to die, Moses? And, and this doesn't seem like a very good idea. And, and God, who is trying to make a nation out of them who will worship him, that he can use to bless all the nation of the world, is determining that this is not working. This experiment is not working well. And he permits a plague of snakes to come through the camp. They're venomous snakes. If they bite you, you die. And so the people cry out, and God gives Moses a plan. Moses, he says, fashion a bronze snake, put it on a very high pole, and establish it in the camp, and everyone who will look at the bronze snake will be healed. You're safe if you look up. You snare at the snakes, you die. You look up, you're saved. Jesus, God, provides an antidote to the venom. All you had to do to be protected from the snakes is to look up. Moses says to his people, look up and see the salvation of God. There's a shift in that. Did you catch it? You look down at the snakes or you look up at God's salvation. That informs our self-talk. You can't look up and down at the same time. You need to commit to one direction or the other. You're either going to stay in your destructive, demoralizing, cynical, and hypercritical self-talk or you're going to look up and discover the truth of what God thinks about you and build your life on that. 
And that means taking the steps to retrain your mind, to build a new conversation in your head that's based on God's truth. The truth that you are loved by God. The truth that God isn't condemning you. That God wants you to lead a better life and he will be with you every step of the way to discover it. Lauren Daigle sings a song, I am yours, and this is some of the words of it. So I rest in your promises, now I'm sure of this, I'm yours. No power is strong enough to separate me from your love, I'm yours. Those are foundational truths for us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a prayer that essentially ends the same way. And he's talking in this prayer about the fact that the people around him look at him in the concentration camp and think he looks like an all put together, kind of confident kind of guy who's expecting to get out of this. But he knows inside of himself that he's scared to death that he's angry at the circumstances that have found him in a concentration camp, that he feels feeble and hungry, and he just feels like he needs to see the sun and breathe some fresh air. And he says, I'm such a basket of contradictions, Lord. Who am I? Am I what other people see me to be? Or am I all of the tension and difficulty inside of me? And he finishes the prayer by saying, whatever I am, Lord, I am yours. That's the truth of our lives, isn't it? We are his. We are loved by him. He holds our lives in his hand and he will not leave us. And he wants good things for us. He wants us to cooperate with his Holy Spirit, with his transforming grace so that we can know the blessing of life lived in the kingdom of God. I want to give you an unusual invitation this morning. A simple trip to the altar to pray, to ask for the Spirit's help is probably a good way to help establish your direction. But if you need help creating a new inner dialogue, reach out for help. Call me, call a friend, email us so that we can sit down together and write a new internal script for you so that we can open up the word of God and find God's truth that specifically addresses the things that you need to have addressed so that you can swap out the lies that Satan is telling us and that we continue to circulate in our minds for the truth of God's word based on the fact that you are loved by God you are not condemned by God. That God wants you to lead a better life and he will be with you every step of the way and he is in you to guide you for he is the spirit of truth. He will tell you the truth about yourself and together you will walk with integrity in the kingdom of God. Let's make a plan for transformation, one that invites the Holy Spirit to guide us into all that he has for us. Let's pray, and then we'll sing together. Holy Spirit, 
You hear all of our self-talk. You know what we're telling ourselves. And there are probably times when you wish you could grab us by the shirt and say, listen, pay attention. Think of what the truth of God is about you. Help us, Lord, to hear you speak. Help us, Lord, to hear your truth about who we are. Help us, Lord, to establish ourselves on the foundation of your word and of your love for us, that we might be fruitful in the kingdom of God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me and join me in singing? Of course, you can always pray at the altar if you like. But you heard the rest of my challenge, so I hope you'll keep that invitation in mind. Sing together. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find courage. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that God is mine. comes my way when I cannot stand up on you 
Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. I believe the Holy Spirit will reveal to us self-talk that is not helpful. Because there are times when the dangerous self-talk is different than what I explained in the sermon. There are times when the self-talk that's dangerous is, I can make it on my own. I don't need anybody help. I can tough this out. Or I can't afford to confess that sin because what will people think? Or I can't admit because I have a reputation to maintain. And the self-talk that destroys too many to catalog. But if we will open ourselves to the Spirit, he will challenge the self-talk that comes from the enemy. He's reliable. He's the spirit of truth. So when we sing, here's my heart, Lord, speak what is true, that's what we're praying, that he will speak what is true to our hearts so that we'll know it. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. The Spirit of God continues to talk to me about the level of my patience. And my temptation in self-talk to say, well, look at the circumstances. That impatient is legitimate. It's, it's, there's an easy way to rationalize that. I ought to be impatient. And the Spirit of God says to me, Daniel, you know better than that. Invite me to help you. That's how it works for me. I pray that's how it will work for you. May the spirit of truth guide you into his truth so that you always live in the knowledge of his incredible love for you. To the glory of God, now and always.
Amen.